Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome back to ACRAC. I'm Jed Wolpaw and today we're going to talk about local anesthetics. I've had several requests over the past few months about this and so finally decided it was time to do an episode on local anesthetics. So what we're going to talk about is the mechanism of action of local anesthetics. We'll go over some common agents and their pharmacodynamics and kinetics. We'll talk about toxicity and how to treat that toxicity. And then we'll talk about common uses, common blocks that we do with local anesthetics, what we use for them, and how we use them. And hopefully that will be useful. All right, let's jump right in. So what are local anesthetics? They are agents that are used to block nerve conduction and therefore provide sensory and maybe, if you want, and depending on what you use and how much of it, motor blockade as well. They are weak bases. The way they block nerve conduction is by blocking sodium channels. And interestingly, and you may remember this from med school or or nursing school or wherever you may have learned it, mainly they block the inside of the channel, the sodium channel. And so it's actually easiest for them to get there when that channel is activated. So nerves that are in use more often will be more sensitive to local anesthetics because they'll be in that open, uh, in that activated uh, configuration more often. So there are two basic classes of local anesthetics. There's the amino amides and the amino esters, often just thought of as amides and esters. So the amino amides have an amid link between the intermediate chain and the aromatic end, and the amino esters have an ester link between the intermediate chain and the aromatic end. Amino esters, uh, esters and amino amides are actually fairly different in several important respects. This is also a favorite board question differentiating between the two. So amino esters are metabolized in the plasma via pseudocolonesterases, whereas amino amides are metabolized in the liver. Esters are unstable in solution, Amides are very stable in solution, and esters are very much more likely than amides to cause allergic hypersensitivity reactions. That last one is very commonly tested. Commonly used amides are lidocaine, mepivacaine, prilocaine, and bupivacaine, also etidocaine and ropivacaine, and levobupivacaine. Commonly used esters include cocaine, procaine, tetracaine, chlorprocaine, and benzocaine. So how can you remember which is which? You don't actually have to memorize which one is in each, but the easy way to remember it is that the word amid has an I, the word ester does not have any I. And so all of the names that have two I's, lidocaine, mepivacaine, prilocaine, bupivacaine, etc., they all have two I's in them. Therefore, they are amides. They go to the word with an I, whereas all of the ones with only one I, cocaine, procaine, tetracaine, they only have one I in their word, in their name. Those all are esters. Ester has no I. So that is, is, I've always thought, the easiest way to remember. All right. So let's talk about sensory versus motor blockade. So sensory 
usually comes first, especially when you're using bupivacaine and ropivacaine. We actually used to think this was because local anesthetics hit small diameter C fibers before they hit those larger diameter neurons that had motor. But it turns out that that's probably not true, and we're not actually clear exactly why it is that you get sensory blockade usually before motor blockade. If you hear that kind of old reasoning, it's actually not been borne out in studies. But they are different. You can get one sensory without the other motor. And then, of course, there are many times where we want both sensory and motor. And so uh, for surgical blocks, we would want that. And so then we, we try to get both. And the way, to, the way you would get one and not the other, the way you would get sensory and not motor, is by using less anesthetic, uh, lower dose, lower strength, less total volume. And we'll talk more about that. Let's talk a little about pharmacokinetics. So the onset of action, and these these are very commonly tested as well, the onset of action of a local anesthetic is determined by the pKa. So they're weak bases. So if you remember back to chemistry, at at a more acidic pH, because they're weak bases and they have that NH3, that that, uh, NH3 particle, that NH3 portion, that if at a more acidic pH, when lots of, of hydrogen ions are around, one will attach on there, and you'll get a charged NH4 plus uh, part of that molecule. And at a more basic pH, when there are fewer hydrogen ions around, you won't, and so it will remain uncharged. Okay, So weak bases at an acidic pH will be charged, and at a basic pH will be uncharged. And the higher the pKa of the individual, the individual drug the more it will be charged at physiologic pH and the slower the onset of action. So in other words, if the pKa is lower than the pH of the environment, which would be rare because these are bases, then it would remain uncharged frequently. But if the pKa is higher than the pH of the environment, then it will get that extra hydrogen ion added on more often and be more commonly charged. And the higher the pKa relative to the environment, the more often that will be true. And therefore, the higher the pKa, the more charged it will be. And the more charged it is, the slower its onset of action because charged particles have a much harder time getting into nerve cells. Lidocaine has a relatively low pKa, and that's why we think of lidocaine as having a very fast onset. Interestingly, Chlorprocaine, which if you've done OB anesthesia, you know is often used if you want a really fast block, even faster than lidocaine, a fast onset, I mean. And But that's despite the fact that it actually has a higher pKa than lidocaine. But that's because it's got really low toxicity, and so you can use high concentrations. And we use 3% chlorprocaine compared to maybe 1.5% or 2% lidocaine. So because you can use such a high concentration, it will come on very quickly despite the fact that it has a high pKa. So for the purposes of test questions, in general, onset of action is related to the pKa, but in reality, there are other factors like the potency, like the concentration that you can use. The potency of a local anesthetic is related to the lipid solubility. And so this may sound very similar to what we just said, but at a given pH, the more lipid soluble that it is, the more potent it will be. The duration of action 
you'll often find on tests they want you to say protein binding, which is not that that's not true. Protein binding does have some interaction, some influence on duration of action. But it turns out that actually more recent studies have shown that vasoconstriction probably plays an even bigger role, or at least as big of a role, of protein binding. The more vasoconstriction you get, the longer it will stay around, not be carried away in the bloodstream, and therefore the longer the duration of action. All right, let's talk briefly just about some of the commonly used drugs, how fast, just in terms of category of of slow, medium, or fast onset uh, they are, and we'll just go over the maximum safe dose and then the general duration. So lidocaine, probably the most commonly used. It's rapid onset. We talked about why because it's got a relatively low pKa. It is... Uh, the dose we think of is about 4.5 milligrams per kilogram, or if you add epinephrine, then you can use up to 7 milligrams per kilogram, and that is more because the epinephrine will cause more vasoconstriction. It won't get taken up into the bloodstream as fast, and therefore it's safer to use more. You get, depending on, this, and this all depends on where you use it, but if we're talking about injection in, let's just say, for a um, skin abscess, something you're going to cut into, just injection under the skin, for lidocaine, you may think about getting somewhere in the neighborhood of two hours. With epinephrine, it can be double that. The other rapid uh, onset, relatively commonly used medication, at least for nerve blocks, is mepivacaine. And uh, 5 milligrams per kilogram is the acceptable dose, up to 7 with epinephrine. And it's a little longer acting, so maybe 3 hours without epinephrine, and again, double that, up to 6 hours with epinephrine. Bupivacaine, slow onset, about 2.5 milligrams per kilogram is what we think of as the safe dose, and maybe a little more, maybe 3 milligrams per kilogram with epinephrine, and it can last up to 4 hours without or up to 8 hours with epinephrine. Ropivacaine, kind of medium uh, onset, a little faster than bupivacaine, somewhere in the neighborhood of 2 to 3 milligrams per kilogram, and it's not really that affected by adding epinephrine in terms of its safety profile. Just slightly less in terms of duration of action, maybe 3 hours compared to the 4 of bupivacaine, maybe 3.5. And, and then, again, you get the extended onset, maybe up to 6 hours with epinephrine. Chloroprocaine, I mentioned before, is being very rapid and very safe because you can use those high doses up to 10 milligrams per kilogram or 15 with epinephrine, but really even shorter duration than lidocaine, 30 minutes uh, or up to 60 to 90 with epinephrine. All right. So you'll often hear about adding bicarbonate to an injection of local anesthetic, and it can increase the speed of onset. But you have to be careful. If you use too much, you can cause precipitation of the local anesthetic. Usually what the the mix people will make is one cc from an amp of bicarb. That's an amp is one milliequivalent per ml. So you're putting one milliequivalent into nine mls of local anesthetic. And that is supposedly going to increase the onset. Though, to be honest, there have been mixed results from studies as to whether it really makes any difference. Adding epinephrine, as we just mentioned, will increase the duration. That's because it counters the vasodilatory action of local anesthetics themselves. The only local anesthetic that doesn't have some vasodilatory properties itself is actually cocaine, which is a vasoconstrictor. And then centrally, epinephrine, if you're talking about giving it 
as part of a spinal or epidural, there actually are alpha-2 receptors in the, on the spinal cord in the central nervous system. And so you can get some increased action of anesthesia from epinephrine itself. Another very commonly asked question has to do with where absorption is highest or lowest. So the you'll see these charts and you want to just memorize this. The area, and what this is asking is if you inject local anesthetic in certain parts of the body, where is it going to be absorbed the most into the bloodstream and where is it going to be absorbed the most or the fastest and where it's going to be absorbed the least or the slowest. So the intercostal space, if you do intercostal nerve blocks, this is going to be the most, the highest absorption, the intercostal highest absorption, followed by caudal epidural, then lumbar and thoracic epidural, then brachial plexus, and then just simple sub-Q. So those are the duration in terms of how much absorption most to least, and that's something worth memorizing if you're going to be taking anesthesia boards. All right, let's move on and talk about toxicity of local anesthetics. So in a very simple way, the first toxicity you see is usually CNS, and cardiovascular toxicity follows later. So the initial symptoms of local anesthetic-induced CNS toxicity are feelings of lightheadedness, dizziness, and then that's usually followed by visual and auditory disturbances. Uh, People can have tinnitus, difficulty focusing. Sometimes you'll see in the operating room when you give, if you tend to give lidocaine before induction, if you push 100 milligrams of lidocaine, which is pretty common, patients will say, whoa, I have some ringing in my ears, or they may get a little metallic taste, or they may, say, they may feel kind of woozy, and they'll say, oh, you're giving me anesthesia already. And that's those effects of the central nervous system toxicity from the lidocaine. And that's not to say that you're giving them a toxic dose. It's just the rapid bolus, they kind of get those initial symptoms. The primary cardiac electrophysiologic effects of local anesthetics, uh, you'll see a decrease in the rate of depolarization in those fast-conducting tissues of the Purkinje fibers and ventricular muscle, so some bradycardia. Extremely high concentrations of local anesthetics will depress spontaneous pacemaker activity in the sinus node and result in sinus bradycardia and then sinus arrest. Based on animal studies, and also more and more human studies, Hospitals and clinics that perform major conduction blockade, are. it's recommended that they have to have lipid emulsion available. So intralipid 20% is the most common. If a patient has profound cardiovascular depression or collapse after the administration of bupivacaine, ropivacaine, then uh, along, it could be another local anesthetic, but the bupivacaine is certainly the most commonly uh, implicated, then obviously you're going to uh, start ACLS, CPR, chest compressions, but also you want to give a rapid bolus of intralipid 20%. So that's 1.5 mLs per kilo, about 100 mLs in adults. You want to give that right away, and then if needed, follow it by an infusion of 0.25 mLs per kilo per minute for the next 10 minutes. Ropivacaine is the S-isomer, uh, the S-isomer of bupivacaine. It's got a substitution of a propyl for the butyl group on the piperidine ring. And it's supposed to be or thought to be less cardiotoxic, and it probably is somewhat less cardiotoxic. Other side effects you can see, hypotension. Uh, Obviously, if you get cardiovascular collapse, you'll have hypotension, but also a high epidural block or spinal block can cause severe hypotension. Methemoglobinemia is something you may hear about or see on a test. Prilocaine is the biggest offender 
and in doses, but you know, it's a little bit, you have to have really high doses. So prilocaine in doses above about 600 milligrams can cause methemoglobinemia. Commonly tested item is TNS, transient neurologic symptoms. So these are most common with spinal lidocaine. And spinal lidocaine was first used in 1948. And then in 1991, we started to get case reports of cauda equina syndrome, uh, and that was with the use of 5% lidocaine through microcatheters. And then two years after that, in 1993, the first description of TNS was, was written. It's described as a painful condition of the buttocks and thighs with possible radiation to the lower extremities, begins as soon as a few hours after spinal anesthesia, and can last as long as 10 days, but usually shorter. The pain can be mild to severe. But unlike Cotoquina syndrome, it's exclusively a pain syndrome. There's no bowel or bladder dysfunction, no neurologic dysfunction, that, nothing that can be found on MRI, and all EP electrophysiologic studies and exams are normal. And that's commonly tested. What would you find in terms of neurologic symptoms in a patient with TNS? You find nothing, just the pain, no neurologic defects. All local anesthetics can cause TNS. It's more common with lidocaine, One uh, the Incidence uh, following a lidocaine spinal is 13%. The relative risk of TNS when using lidocaine versus bupivacaine, mepivacaine, prilocaine, or procaine is about four. So it's four times as likely with lidocaine. Mepivacaine is almost as risky as lidocaine, and then both of those are much more commonly uh, causative, almost seven times the rate with, uh, uh, with lidocaine or mepivacaine compared to bupivacaine, prilocaine, or procaine. Nobody in the studies that have looked at this with TNS had any permanent effects. All right. Lastly, let's talk about some specific blocks. And I'll tell you what our regional anesthesiologists here use, and it's probably a fairly good example of what's fairly commonly done. So for peripheral blocks, we use about 15 to 2% mepivacaine for short blocks. Like, for example, if you're doing an upper extremity block for an AV, for an AV fistula, and it's not going to be very painful postoperatively, so you don't need long action. You just have to get through the surgery itself. Or we'll use ropivacaine or bupivacaine for longer-acting blocks. And usually for a big upper extremity or lower extremity, a big depot nerve block like a brachial plexus block or a femoral nerve block, you can get up to 12 hours of pain relief uh, from ropivacaine, and even up to 16 to 18 for bupivacaine. Now, that's not to say it always acts that long, but it can. It can give you pain relief up to that long. Usually, that's with 0.5% bupivacaine or ropivacaine. And now, that doesn't mean they're exactly the same. 0.5% ropivacaine is not quite as potent as 0.5% bupivacaine, but here we just tend to use 0.5% of, of either one. You have to be careful when you're looking at your toxic doses. So you need to remember what the toxic dose for the individual agent you're using is and then add up the total uh, of all the local anesthetic that you're giving. You can't, uh, you can't assume that if you're giving lidocaine IV with induction and bupivacaine in, the, in your block that that's going to be, you can do the total toxic dose of either one. You want to come up with a total toxic dose that includes everything you're using and not exceed that if at all possible. So for a femoral nerve block, most commonly this is going to be about 20 cc's. For a popliteal nerve block, something like 25 to 30. Saphenous block, about 20. An interscalene block, 20 to 30. A supraclavicular block, 30 to 40 cc's. An axillary block, once you include the musculocutaneous nerve as well, about 30 to 40 cc's. For 
field blocks, like a tap block, transversus abdominal plane block, usually you dilute the bupivacaine or ropivacaine down to about quarter percent, so 0.25%. And then you can do, if you're doing a bilateral block, you can do 30 mLs on either side. A paravertebral block, maybe 5 cc's per level, keeping in mind your total toxic dose. With bupivacaine, because the toxic dose is 2.5 milligrams per kilogram, and you're using, if you're using 0.25%, that should be very easy to calculate because 0.25% bupivacaine is 2.5 milligrams per mL. And therefore, if 2.5 milligrams per kilogram is your toxic dose, you know you can give 1 mL per kilogram the patient weighs. So a 70 kilo patient, you can give 70 mLs. That's a quarter percent. If you're using 0.5%, you have to cut that in half. So an 80 kilo patient can get 40 mLs of 0.5% bupivacaine. If you're going to leave a catheter in, usually here what we'll do if we're leaving, for example, a popliteal catheter in is run 0.2% ropivacaine at about 8 to 12 mLs per hour, and often they'll get a demand dose too, where they can give themselves two or three cc's on a demand dose by pushing the button. For spinals, usually for a C-section, give somewhere around 8 to 12 milligrams of bupivacaine. You can add morphine or fentanyl, which will increase the duration, and epinephrine, which can increase the duration or certainly the depth that we talked about there being alpha-2 receptors centrally. For non-C-section spinals, Usually, we'll use 0.75% bupivacaine, somewhere between 5 and up to 22.5 milligrams. And again, that's depending on how long the surgery is going to be and how many levels you're trying to cover. You can use isobaric or hypobaric uh, bupivacaine as well. The one that comes in the kit, the 0.5% that comes in most spinal kits, is hyperbaric. If you're going to use isobaric, it won't, shouldn't travel very far. It should kind of stay where you put it. And if you can use hypobaric, be careful because it can go up. And you're maybe if the patient's going to be sitting, you can be at risk for a high spinal. Usually we avoid lidocaine and mepivacaine because we talked before, this is for spinals, because we talked before about they are more likely to cause TNS. And, of course, the higher dose, the higher dose you give will give you more, domato- more, more dermatomes or a longer-lasting block. Epidurals. For labor, we no longer use 0.75% bupivacaine because you're giving such a high volume for an epidural compared to a spinal that the risk, if it were to go intravascular, of cardiovascular collapse for the baby and the mom is too high. So usually for epidurals, we use 2% lidocaine or 2 or 3% chlorprocaine, usually at a 10 to 15 cc bolus, and then titrate to effect after that. And then for lumbar epidurals, in a 20-year-old, You can think about 1.5 cc's per level. For a thoracic epidural, about 1 cc per level. And then it's less for older patients by about 1% per year. So a 20-year-old versus a 70-year-old, a 70-year-old needs 50% less. That's 50 years, 1% per year is 50%. And then the other thing is that obesity and pregnancy will reduce the dose by about one-third compared to someone who's thin and not pregnant. So you kind of think, all right, if I'm doing an epidural for whatever it is you're doing it for, labor, or if it's not for labor, for a knee, a hip, what level, how many levels am I trying to cover from where I am? And then you calculate about, for a lumbar epidural, 1.5 cc's per level, unless that's for a 20-year-old, and then you decrease it for a 70-year-old, decrease it for pregnancy or extremely obese people. All right, that is it for local anesthetics, and hopefully that was helpful. Remember to check out the website at acrac.com where you can download all the episodes and also leave comments and look at comments other people have left. 
How do you use local anesthetics? What kind of dosing do you use for your blocks at your institution? Let us know. We can all learn from you and from reading your comments. You can also join the mailing list at ACRAC.com in the upper right-hand corner. And it actually has been malfunctioning. I've had a hard time getting it to work lately. But when it is working, I will send out notifications about new episodes and also anything else interesting that I want to send around. If you haven't already, please check out the survey, acrac.com slash survey. That'll give me some useful information. It's totally anonymous. And, of course, if you haven't, please go to iTunes where you can leave a comment and a rating. It really helps others find the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. We'll see you next time on another episode of ACRAC. For the ACRAC Podcast, I'm Jeb Wolpaw. Remember, what you're doing out there every day is really important and valued. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.